Poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of Tactical Tuesday. Today, I am joined once again by my fully repaired and functional co-host, Coach Thomas. Coach Thomas, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing all right, trying to save my voice after uh, a couple rounds of boot camp that were uh, a bit exhausting, but uh, I think uh, great experiences for all the students and, and us as well. In that case, in order to preserve your voice for the rest of this week, let's just dive right into hand number one on Tactical Tuesday. The theme of this episode is going to be some river raises. Anything that you would like to add to set up the theme of this episode? Yeah, you're you're skipping over something that I, I don't think we can we can skip, Brad. Last week there was a, a major event in Greatness Village. Uh, why don't you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so you know, after I posted your outtake reel on Tactical Tuesday, you asked me for my address and I just kind of instantly gave it to you and you made sure to let me know that I couldn't do the solve for why DNEGs versus Polk stream. Last week, I had to show up to Poker Power Hour, so I did, and at about 8 o'clock, I got a phone call from somebody who was trying to find my house, um, a female, and I realized that you know I had a delivery scheduled at exactly 8 p.m., the time that we do the, the group coaching Poker Power Hour. I was very concerned. I told my wife that I, I had no idea what to expect, and maybe I had picked a fight with somebody that was you know, just better at pranking than me. And um, I found the lady, she said it was a big order. I asked her a big order of what, because again, my mind is going to all sorts of crazy places. And it was a hundred cookies sent by you and the villagers in our Slack community as a token of appreciation for the content that I've created and making it through 100 episodes of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. And, you know, I was just really blown away. I think that like you went to the next level in the prank war by pranking me with kindness, which just makes me feel a little bit bad about <laughs> about the outtake reel last week. But yeah, you guys, I, I was blown away, speechless. Uh, I'm really bad at accepting gifts, finding the right words to convey the emotions that I felt, but it was, uh, it was overwhelming and very, very kind. And I, I'm ultra grateful and appreciative for that gesture. Next time, it's going to be strippers. Uh, maybe 2 a.m. There's going to be 100 strippers show up. Might be a little out of budget, though, currently. We might need to make a little bit more money off of uh, off of Chasing Poker Greatness. Yeah, we're going to need to fill up boot camp for you to hire. What did you say? 200? 100 or 200. 200 to celebrate 200 episodes. We, we got time. Uh, yeah, we, we got a lot of work to do in <laughs> um, these next 100 episodes. But yeah, it was a great gesture. I'm really super appreciative. and. Now, can we jump into the hands? Yes, we can, Brad. All right, set us up. Okay, both of these hands were hands I played at 200 and L on ignition. Hand number one, uh, we've got a reg opened the cutoff to $5. 
And we call the big blind with the Jack of Spades, Nine of Hearts. Uh, the pot's $10 going into the flop. And the flop is the Seven of Spades, Five of Spades, and Four of Hearts. Uh, I opt to check. And my opponent pretty quickly chooses to check back. I'm going to assume that Jack Nine off is, is your worst Jack that you're flatting with here in the big blind facing a cutoff open. I would probably also uh, go ahead and continue with Jack eight off, but that, that would definitely be the bottom. Um, I, I don't think it makes a huge difference whether it's Jack eight or, or Jack nine. And I just try to get involved uh, with players, but, but uh, you need to be able to pull the trigger on some bluffs to, to make that happen and have a high win rate in the games you're playing in. So if I were playing it 500 ml, I might just fold Jack eight, for example. Yeah, it has to do with level of confidence, your ability to find exploits deeper in the decision tree. And the better you are at navigating, finding the exploits, the more hands that you get to play. And with that foreshadowing in mind, tell me about the flop, the action. Uh, So both of us uh, chose to check. I'm just checking to the preflop razor here. Uh, This is a board that's actually pretty good for him and I'd, I'd expect him to bet quite a bit uh, just just because uh, I, I'm gonna have a lot of cart hands like this where I, I just have offsuit like jack 10 queen jack type type hands a lot and that just really whiff this board so I, I would expect a high betting frequency and uh, a bit surprised when he does not choose to bet here yeah uh, I agree and typically, I think that like this is a spot where regs are going to start out by betting one third and then have a lot of favorable turn cards that they can continue barreling, putting a lot of pressure even on the better hands that we continue with, like seven, eight, uh, five, six. So I'm with you. And once it goes check, check, the board is four of hearts, five of spades, seven of spades. And we get a 10 of spades on the turn. For the listener, you do have the jack of spades and the nine of hearts. So flush completing turn there's ten dollars in the pot tell me about your thought process and the action you take so i think the key piece of information here is if the opponent had a flush draw they're very likely to bet it off on the flop uh which leaves us with a lot of flushes compared to our opponent uh and we can start leveraging uh pretty large bet sizes uh so i opt to go ahead and uh make a slight over bet uh, with the plan to find a way to continue bluffing on on blank rivers, uh, I bet twelve dollars into the pot of ten dollars, and the villain calls. Uh, he didn't think for too long. I, I want to dive a little bit deeper into why you don't think villain has a ton of flushes, and why the expectation is that our opponent's going to be betting their flush draws on the flop. Well, in in reality, like. A lot of hands in my range, he can put a lot of pressure on by going ahead and starting to bet. But if he makes this flush, he wants the opportunity to, to be able to win a, a large pot. And if he doesn't start betting now, uh, the pot's small enough, it's going to be very difficult for it to become a, a particularly large pot. Yeah, and not much can go wrong when you start out by betting your flush draw here, right? Like in a worst case scenario, you opt to raise with the value portion of your range and villain has just a natural easy continue when they start out by betting so pretty clear path forward when you bet your flush draw not much not much downside and like you mentioned a lot of upside so with all of that said you bet $12 on the turn which is a slight overbet and then your opponent calls there's $36 in the pot heading into the river and the river is the king of hearts tell me about your options here and then the action you decided to take 
Yeah, this was a a, a really cool card because sometimes the opponent's going to run into a king with a hand like king of spades, queen, or ace of spades, king, or or something like that. And he'll actually consider value betting himself on this card. But also, if he has a hand like, I don't know, queen jack with the queen of spades, he's likely to go ahead and start bluffing. So I opted to check with the assumption that he's going to value bet a king, and he's probably going to bluff with that entire a single spade region that I think he has a ton of hands in and with the intention of just check raising and expecting him to fold almost every hand. How do you protect against the showdown driven hands that villain has here? So like they check back ace five, check back ace five on the flop because they have some equity. They're trying to reach showdown at a cheaper price. That's a hand that's naturally going to be checking back here, but might fold versus a river bet. So how do you weigh the pros and cons of checking versus continuing to bluff the way that i would look at it is if even if the opponent has ace five suited here they just have three combinations of it and ace four suited same same thing uh i don't expect him to open ace five offsuit or ace four offsuit in the cutoff but i do expect him to have all of the queen jack offsuit all of the ace jack offsuit all of the king jack king queen offsuit type type region and i i think there's more money to be made as a result from letting him bluff with the, some of those hands and then also if i choose to go ahead and bet here i expect a king with a spade to just call versus if i put in the check raise i think there is a very good chance that he just folds most of those kings and there's one hand type that i think the check performs very well against. I think that's the 10x in villain's range. So like the turn is a 10, villain can check. Back on the flop, jack 10, queen 10, maybe ace 10, those type of hands, all the offsuit varieties. I don't think that villain folds all the 10x's or any of the 10x's versus a river bet. So I think you can save a bet when villain has 10x and when they check back and just win with their 10x or they just opt to go ahead and value bet i think that's a pretty major victory that makes me inclined to believe that your check here is going to dramatically outperform just bluffing outright and with all that said you check villain bets 24 which is a 66 percent sizing into a pot of 36 dollars and true to your word you do find the check raised to 72 dollars could you tell me about why you chose 72 dollars as your sizing here this was kind of the minimum size that i felt was necessary to rate to fold out a, a king um, or to to give us an opportunity of folding out a king. So it was, uh, I, I assumed this size would work perfectly if he chose to bet a, a 10 or bluff, and then hopefully start folding out some of his kings as well. And how did you come to that conclusion, that this sizing was the perfect sizing to fold out a king? It's just my experience with the game. I don't have a specific heuristic that drove me here other than a bet a raise size that would be really uncomfortable for me to deal with if I had a king here yeah I mean and and that's a pretty good heuristic right like what makes my life miserable what sizing could my opponent use that would make my life miserable with a hand like king jack I think that asking yourself that question and then really asking yourself like what would my nut flushes raise to like how do I pull off a credible bluff here that makes it look like I have you know, the nut flushes and the value hands in that portion of my range. So, you know, it's it's 
a little bit tricky coming to these sizings and figuring out what's optimal. But as you put yourself in this situation again and again and again, you gain experience and that experience leads you to you know choosing really good sizings. I would say that if you struggle, if someone in the audience right now struggles with finding good sizings and efficiency, I would certainly start running some PioSims, simplify them, only look at the river decision, construct ranges that make a lot of sense and, you know, just see, you know, tinker around if like a shove is going to outperform 3x or if a min raise is preferable than 3x, like just test the sizings, try to find what you feel to be the most efficient sizing. And that's pretty short and easy way to gain some clarity. It's pretty funny to hear you advocating uh, PioSims, Brad, just in that I usually advocate against them for especially newer players, uh, and I'm the more analytical of the two of us, so it's pretty funny to hear you. Well, it's it's really, it's a good thing for efficiency's sake, right? Like, remove the flop, remove the turn decisions, put nothing in the inputs on the flop and the turn, and just play the river from what you suspect villain's range is, and then just what you... Re- expect villains reaction to be facing a variety of different sizes i mean you still have to make assumptions there right like that's only one street with very narrow ranges and you're still having to make assumptions so i caution most people from using pio especially as it relates to just some of the complex outputs pio gives you i don't think that there's a lot to learn from them in general but as it relates to finding efficiency on rivers i do think you can learn quite a bit here so that you're more precise in your sizing because i think it does matter um, the precision of these bluff raise sizes and our value river raise sizes i think it's something that's worthy of investigation speaking of precision of, of bet size we we had kind of a, a revelation in our, our fish in a barrel course this this past week uh, so we had we had basically created uh, a strategy for sea betting versus recreational players that that we believe is as close to optimal as as, as you can get uh, or that we can construct it at the very least and we started playing around with some of the other like less efficient sizing. So like a very common one is maybe a half pot bet size on like a really dry board texture, like a King seven deuce rainbow. And we found that it underperforms versus uh, a one third bet size by nearly a full big blind every single time uh, versus a passive recreational player. Yeah. And that's huge, right? Like that, that's a huge difference in performance just based on one small variation of bet sizes. And yeah, I, I challenge everybody to really investigate, dive deep, try to try to figure out, you know, the optimal sizings that you ought to be using in these spots because they can they impact your win rate in such a massive way that it's just hard to overstate it. And um right now we're gonna head to the break. Hand number two is a more questionable hand with it's a spot that I'm confident that I'm unsure about. And so stick around after the break, check out hand number two. Look, I totally get it. You feel like being a lone wolf in your poker journey has hamstrung your ability to realize your full potential. So I'm about to give you a golden opportunity to plug into a supportive tribe that will be the poker family you've always wished you had. How much money would you give for one hour of interactive group coaching led by myself, Coach Thomas, and occasionally past guests of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast? For now, and this will absolutely change at some point in the near future, the price of admission to the Live Poker Power Hour is 100% free. All you've got to do to get your invite is head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com and hop on the VIP newsletter. No more excuses, no more procrastination. It's time to take action 
and put yourself in position to turn your poker dreams into reality. I hope to see that beautiful face of yours in just a couple of days. All right, we are back with hand number two in this River Raising Tactical Tuesday. Terminator Thomas set us up for hand numero dos. Okay, hand number two. Uh, we are $240 effective versus a recreational player. The recreational opens middle position to $4, uh, which is a, a min raise. Uh, we opt to three bet uh, King Nine of Diamonds uh, to $14 on the button. Uh, and he chooses to call. Uh, I am absolutely looking to play a lot of pots with this player, and a a suited king on the button is good enough for me. Yeah, so just three betting wide again, putting yourself in position to play pots, in position versus a weaker opponent, typically going to be able to capture lots of EV deeper in the decision tree, so I love what you're doing here. And so there's $20 in the pot. We have a king of diamonds, a nine of diamonds. The flop is ace of diamonds, king of spades, six of hearts. Our opponent checks. Let's talk about your first decision here on the flop. So here against a regular, I'm definitely just looking to go ahead and see that and and take the incentives of my range here. Uh, because I have a lot of strong aces, I have aces and kings, etc., and have a, a really large advantage on this board texture. But I opted to check, and the reason why I opted to check is versus recreationals, I tend to take the incentives of my hand over the incentives of my range, and king nine suited doesn't have a, a great reason to, to bet here. Uh, we're not going to fold out an ace. We're probably not going to get worse to really call us unless it's like queen jack specifically and we bet small. Yeah, it's tricky and I could I could make an argument for either way, either a one-third c-bet sizing or a check back. I think that like playing into the nature of this opponent, when, when he starts betting on turns after we check back, we're going to be in a little tricky position with our king, going to probably have to trust our ability to make some exploitable folds versus future bets. So for simplification, I think that betting one third is probably what I would lean towards, but I also understand why you decided to check back. So you check and the turn is the Jack of spades. So the board now is Ace of diamonds, King of spades, six of hearts and Jack of spades. And there's $28 in the middle. And the recreational player bets $10, so a little over a third pot-sized bet. And exactly what you mentioned, we now have a a little bit of a tricky spot where we we don't really have a clue whether our hand is good now, and it's going to be tricky to navigate. Uh, That being said, I I do think it's really easy for the opponent to just take a random hand and, and stab here. Uh, especially at this size. So I opt to go ahead and call on the turn. And again, we can make a case for just folding here on the turn, right? Versus a passive limper who's now betting on a triple Broadway board. I think... Well, he was on a limper, Brad. Oh, oh, he raised minimum. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, so he raised minimum. So this is a three-bet pot. It's still tricky. Even in a three-bet pot, triple Broadway board, I don't think this is really a board that they're incentivized to start bluffing on. I I, I don't know. Uh, uh, This is a spot where I can say with absolute certainty that I am totally uncertain on what our action ought to be here. I think that 
if I am calling, I'm likely folding to a river bet. I could make an argument for, you know, men raising and checking back so that we play rivers pretty perfectly. If Phelan has like Jack 10, Queen Jack type hands. Uh, I think that like, if I do choose the call, you coward, you coward. <laughs> it, oh min raising are we're, we're trying to see where we're at now brad is that what's going on <laughs> we're trying to get the showdown we're trying to prevent future mistakes and i think there's a lot of value in potentially preventing us from making a future mistake in spots like this where you know we face a river bet and we make a bad fold or we make a bad call and you know villains ace x's i think the one thing that we have going for us is that this villain archetype is not likely to thin thinly value bet which again leads me to typically just calling and overfolding on most rivers. Yeah, I think my plan here was to call the turn and make a decision based on the the river card and in the sizing the opponent chose. Just because what we do know is recreationals tend to overbluff at smaller sizings and underbluff at, at bigger sizings. So I, I'm looking to make a decision based on that and the river card. All right. You opt to call. There's now $48 in the pot. The board is Ace of Diamonds, King of Spades, Six of Hearts, Jack of Spades, and we get the Queen of Spades River. So it completes the backdoor flush draw and puts up four to a straight. A 10 makes a Broadway. The villain opts to now bet $20 into $48, which is less than 50% pot. Tell me about what's going through your mind here. So this hand was played a couple months ago, and I, I will give you what I was thinking at the time and then what I, I'm thinking now. Uh, my logic at the time was, okay, he's betting a small sizing, uh, which is generally going to be a little bit overbluffed. That being said, I'm a little bit concerned that my hand's just going to lose versus a random like ace that he's button clicking with. And I actually went down the route of, I think that a raise is going to be a profitable endeavor. Uh, just put in a, a medium sized raise and potentially fold out any like ace x or something that chooses to bet here. In reality, though, I, I kind of hate it looking back on it because fish generally don't bluff these four line four liner to a straight boards and if the opponent was betting a hand like king queen or 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 some kind of two pair here i i'm not confident enough that they're going to make the fold so i i think choosing to raise here is actually just torching and i i think uh, i just punted away let's see i raised to 78 dollars over his 20 dollar bet so i i think i just torched away 78 dollars here Maybe 60. Maybe it works occasionally. I can't get on board with this raise. Like you said, you said a bunch of interesting things there, though. Why would you? Why would your inclination be that when villain bets 20 into 48, that they're likely to be over-bluffing? It's just something that we've seen from mass data that uh, smaller bet sizes are generally just over-bluffed by, by recreational players. And it's something I, I lean on a ton in making my, my river decision-making. But... I, I don't think I, I knew this at the time, but I do now is that they, they generally under bluff on these uh, four liners. I think your intuition leads you to the same place of mass data here, because when villain bets 20, we can be pretty confident they have multiple sizes here on the river. And typically recreational players just size up because of the greed factor, right? The natural human emotion of greed. They want to maximize value here when 
they're at the top of their range. So just by the nature of greed driving their decision, we have some removal of, of the top of their value range when they do choose to size down, which is good news for what we're trying to do. But the bad news is villains never folding a straight here to this sizing. And if we are going to go for it, then I would much prefer just going for all of it. If you're trying to fold out a Broadway, then just ram it all in there. But ideally, I'm just going to fold because like you said, this is a spot that's under bluffed by recreational players. I wouldn't really, I, I wouldn't bank on being able to fold a, a tin here facing this villain archetype. And yeah. if I had the nut flush, I would jam it in and be pretty happy believing that they're just going to be calling with all their straights. Yeah, my goal was not to fold a 10 here, for sure. And I, I didn't even entertain the idea that he would fold a 10. Uh, my, my thought was maybe he could be bluffing or button clicking with a better hand than mine, so I couldn't choose to call and and chose to raise this result. But I, I think this was just a, a large mistake. And when you venture into like these really weird creative bluff lines, you are going to have some hands like hand one where you look like a genius or or hands like this where you look like a complete fool and and this was one of the the hands where I, I look like a dummy because we get snapped off by the the 310 suited uh <laughs> for a straight and that's pretty expected right like pretty expected that they bet a 10 um a 10 there on the on the flush completing river i do think it's important for the listener to realize that yeah sometimes you fall flat on your face on the pavement you splat and somebody has to pick you up and put you back together but the more often the more frequently you get in these spots the better you learn how to navigate them so the goal is not to avoid getting yourself in these positions the goal is actually not even to avoid making big mistakes like we made in this hand the goal is to get yourself in there and then reflect and take away the valuable lessons that you learn when you start raising rivers frequently, when you start bluffing in spots that are kind of foreign to you and you're not entirely sure how to navigate your way through them. Those are spots that merit investigation so that you can do a better job moving forward. You know, I just realized that the, the first hand, I don't think we included the results. Um, so results for the listener of hand one is our opponent snap folded. I actually played this hand last night, so I haven't downloaded the hand to see what he had. But I, I'm guessing just a, a queen jack with a queen of spades type type holding. Yeah, I would imagine if they snap folded that they didn't have a pair. Because if they have king queen, they're likely to go in their time bank thinking about whether or not they ought to be calling this that river raise. You know, with the conclusion of both of these river raise spots wrapped up, I guess we will also conclude this episode of Tactical Tuesday. Any final thoughts, Thomas? I, I don't think I got anything this time. No Jerry Springer final thoughts from Thomas. Check us out next week. We'll be back with a, another Tactical Tuesday. Best of luck battling on the green felt. If you have not yet joined the Chasing Poker Greatness VIP newsletter, I would highly suggest you do so hop into our private slack community greatness village where you can regularly interact with high level players and coach brad coach thomas peace out